welcome to the Onyx Pathcast and Frank Welker's Anaconda. We... <laughs> <laughs> this isn't our first rodeo with this episode, listeners. If it appears we are somewhat jaded, it is... <laughs> <laughs> it is because our lovely, lovely Zencaster is treating us like fools. And when I say us, who am I referring to? Well, obviously myself, Matthew Dawkins, and also my co-host, Dixie Cochran. Hello, Dixie. Hello, Matthew. How are you? Oh, I'm all right. I'm all right. I've only been sat here for a while. This is uh, very organic, right? We haven't been talking for an hour and a half. I no. Like, Hi, how are you doing? No, I've it's not. a while. Nothing like that. I have to say, listeners, you you missed out on some recording platinum, platinum quality <laughs> podcast, and uh, sadly, it's been possibly lost to the ether. Not Trinity Continuator, uh, which is currently in manuscript approval. Very happy with that. Very excited about what will be going on with that. Actually, uh, let's talk about that briefly. Okay. Because Dixie, uh, you are one of very few people in the Onyx path, I guess, uh, in a circle who hasn't really had much to do with Aether. I've had nothing to do with Aether. No. So, what do you know about it? Um, I know it's essentially, you know, Trinity by Gaslight. Um, mm-hmm. as far as being set in the Victorian era, um, and also having some figures from pop culture involved. Yeah. Uh, and that's about it, honestly. I, I, I'm I just letting it go through its little process, and I figure I'll read it when it comes around to editing. Yeah, uh, well, I, I'd say that's fair. Uh, and uh, for any listeners who are unaware, uh, it's an 1895 set Trinity Continuum game. Uh, it does exist mm-hmm. within the meta plot, and it uh, essentially does, as Dixie described, in the sense that there's a bit of uh, gaslight, there's a bit of steampunk, uh, there's pop culture characters who may or may not appear in it. Uh, crucially, mm-hmm. H.G. Wells's Martians from War of the Worlds. Oh yeah, I did. I did know about the Martians. I got like, them for a minute. <laughs> well, one one of the challenges I've been having as the developer of this book is knowing how much to condense down. And this is why it has been in manuscript approval for a while for anyone who's uh, keeping an eye on these things. It's we need to find the right line between uh, how much of it's indulgence and how much can well how much can we uh, indulge and how much do we need to focus and when you have a 19th century themed game late 19th century and you have so many public domain characters events stories that you can pull from and in this game that kind of pulling from all of this public domain property is very much part of Aether's, uh, I guess, tapestry. Uh, How much is too much is a big question, because you have Holmes and Moriarty, you have uh, Frankenstein, you have Dracula, you have Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you have everything, well, most everything by H.G. Wells and Jules Verne, and it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And uh, obviously in some formats, like, for instance, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen uh, by Alan Moore, it's, it is delivered to effect that a lot of people find pleasing. But is that something that you can deliver to role players in the same way? Because you're not playing these characters. At some point, mm-hmm. it starts feeling 
to me as the developer, now that I've had sight of this manuscript, I've adjusted it uh, by inches and then by feet, um, or let's let's say meters, if we want to please our European and Canadian friends. Um, uh, never mind the Australians. <coughs> the 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 issue is. At what point does it start feeling like Vampire the Masquerade revised metaplot books where everything that's going on that's of significance is in the hands of all of these established mega characters? And does that make your characters feel quite impotent in the setting? Because, oh, don't worry, Sherlock Holmes will deal with all of that. Mm-hmm. Um so that's that's something I've been wrestling with a little. But now I've been through this manuscript now uh, several times. It's gone back to it's gone to Rich, Eddie, and Ian for approval. Hopefully they will like what they see. If they want more adjustments, more adjustments will be made, and uh, I'm confident we will come up with a good solid game at the end of it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been interesting to go through that process on a line with what is effectively meta plot. There isn't World of Darkness, because obviously World of Darkness has been my bailiwick for quite a long time, mm-hmm. and uh, Aether and the rest of the Trinity books have their, their their whole canon in the background as well. So yeah, it's been an interesting one. Now, I wonder if people really wanted to play as a famous either fictional person or contemporary person from that time. I mean, you could probably just talk to your story guide about that, right? Yeah. If like uh, you, you really desperately want to play Dr. Watson or something, then I don't see why you shouldn't be able to. Um, you know, as long as you're not like running over all the other players in the game. Well, uh, and, and that's one of the things. One of the benefits of taking some of these characters out or I guess fine-tuning it is if you leave gaps for those characters to exist, you provide those spaces for players to put their characters. So if you don't want Griffin, the Invisible Man, to be in the book, your character could be the first person to use Aether to turn himself invisible. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, your character is the Invisible Man, or your character is spring Jack, or your character is Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, uh, whatever you see fit. The societies in this book, uh, without revealing too much, it is still in manuscript approval, but the societies, which is one of the paths in Trinity Continuum, much as archetype is a path in they came from, is that uh, they provide an awful lot of direction for that sort of play. You know, if you want to join an investigative society, a political society, a militaristic society, uh, there's lots of them involved that very much weave into the setting. They aren't just there. And some of them are culture, culture-based. culture Some of them mm-hmm. uh, are based around cultish worship. One of them very much is a cult. But again, I won't reveal too much because it hasn't been approved. Uh, but yeah, hopefully there's enough there to facilitate that kind of play if you want it. That's very cool. Because yeah, like I think there there's, you know, fun to be had in having like one actual historical character mixed with some other folks or having everybody play like a leader's ordinary gentleman type scenario or where everybody's some kind of famous character or even like fudging mm. the timeline a little bit like oh you really want to play as like mary shelley well she, she died four years ago but you know whatever i mean just push her forward a little bit um because yeah like sometimes people want to be those characters or those you know actual people but also sometimes 
but some people want to make their own characters. And I, I think both paths are valid. Yeah. Um, so it is very cool having them as SGCs if everybody makes their own characters. But also it could be kind of fun having them as, you know, the actual player characters if you want to build them out yourself. Yeah, yeah well, I, I certainly hope so. I'm very pleased with the work the writers did on this one. So uh, here's hoping for the manuscripts get approved and that it will move swiftly on into art and editing. We shall see. What if I disapprove of it? Well, as you say, you're the only person who hasn't got <laughs> anything to do with it. So I guess I will have to live with your judgment. I might cry a little, um, but I, I am confident in my ability to move past it. If you do need help with art notes, I am a fan of Victorian fashion. So be happy to uh, describe some some dresses and suits for you. <laughs> uh, I may take your advice providing you approve of the manuscript. Uh, you can't come in <laughs> on one side and say, this book is a great big steaming pile, and on the other say, but I have some fantastic notes, because we have had people come up to us at conventions, or mostly online, to be honest, saying, I hate your game, and this is well, this is why it sucks. Here's what you need to do to make it better. Um <laughs> You're not one of those people, Dixie. So, but if you ever became one, uh, I would. I'll tell you before it got too bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, good. Whew, I'm glad. I'm glad to know that you would. You would let me know that I was being an asshole. Oh, well, you know, it's, it's what friends and colleagues are for. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> there, there was all kinds of talk between Dixie and myself. We haven't addressed the elephant not in the room in the sense of Eddie. Eddie isn't an elephant. Did you just call Eddie an elephant? Well. <laughs> That you could have a Eddie Ed- the elephant, edifant. like edifant. Uh, Nelly the elephant, an elephant, an elephant, hmm. <laughs> an, an elephant with a, a proclivity for hanging around dogs. Yeah, yeah, and 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 spending an awful lot of time at a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, um, if, 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 if Tolkien can have the very thinly named Oliphants. I think yeah. I think we could have an Edifant if 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 we really wanted to. What would you have named the Oliphant if not Oliphant? Because it seems from the movies at least that their defining feature is what? They have four tusks, I think, instead of two. Yeah. Uh, I they may have more than four. I don't know. You're asking me questions that I don't know the answer to because first I would have to look up the etymology of elephant, which I am now doing. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, that's, all right. That's, that's, that's um, where I would start, was looking up where that word came from. Elephant etymology. Mm. Uh, oh, it comes from ivory. So elephants are literally named after the material their tusks are made out of, which is actually kind of weird. Yeah, um, maybe um, maybe elephants are named after a man called Oliver. <laughs> maybe they're all made out of him. Also, just, I've got sirens in the background now, so who knows if those are coming through? It's the it's the elephant police coming in to take. It's, it's the Tolkien police saying, "Do not question our master linguist author's <laughs> naming culture in Lord of the Rings, because there could oh. never possibly be a naming error in Lord of the Rings." Actually, this says elephant circa thirteen hundred oliphant from Old French oliphant, from Latin elephantus from Greek elephant. So it looks like it was elephant. And then it turned into Oliphant and then went back to being Elephant at some point. Ah, so I think well, they just used the old French pronunciation. Tolkien did a Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, no. I'm not I'm not saying he ripped off White Wolf. Um, 
but this is very much a let's use the word gangrel because it's an old word and no one knows what it means. It sounds cool. So Gangrel, Camarilla, Malkavian, Ventru, let's let's go with that uh, because they're all old French words. Right, right, so, right, right. So yeah, uh, well, so, we're yeah, on Tolkien, to you, Tolkien. Tolkien took the old French pronunciation of elephant and was like, I'm going to use this. Um, also, if I said that wrong, I'm sorry, I don't speak old French, um, nor do I speak new French. I don't speak French at all. So, oops. Uh, I assume a French person would say olifon. <laughs> if it I was old know. French, it would be <laughs> Was that just an old person? Yeah, old French. French. Oh my god. Olifong. Les olifons dans le chemise. And yeah, I as as to what I would have named them, like that's a very different question, I think, in modern day, because I do a lot of Googling on etymology and stuff when I have to name something. Hmm. Um, and and things like, you know, old Latin terms or whatever. But I, I don't think Tolkien had Google. So I'm No, he had know, libraries. Library. Remember yeah. them? I mean, yeah, yeah, we, we, we still have them. Um, but at the same time, like, yeah, I don't think that I would have cared so much about looking up old french words for elephant instead i would have probably just named them a made-up thing yeah well i I remember i mentioned to you and eddie at one point when in one of our many conversations where we were speaking about learning languages through duolingo Mm -hmm. that one of my favorite discoveries was the danish word for spider which is uh, well which is spelt edicop or elicop um Mm -hmm. which is the name of a spider monster in D&D, the Etacap. It's the same mm-hmm. genesis. Um, so I, I always, I do actually find these kinds of things interesting. The idea that a lot of authors, uh, bear in mind the Etacap mm-hmm. was probably introduced into D&D well before the internet as well. I, I imagine it was. It was probably mm-hmm. in the first Maybe. edition Monster Manual uh, or one thereabouts. That um, yeah, uh, I appreciate when an author decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go into a language that mo- the majority of the readers aren't going to know, and I'm just going to find the old version of the word I'm looking for, and uh, and then I'll put that in because it sounds cool. And it often does. That's the thing. I'm not even saying it in a dismissive way. It actually works because it has. there's enough similarity to the actual word, the word we use today, that it it feels comfortable to say it. Um, whereas mm-hmm. sometimes if you invent, it, it's it, one of the hardest things you can do, I think, especially when writing fantasy, is coming up with god names and country names and monster oh, names god, that, yes. that don't all sound utterly nonsensical. Yeah. Uh, but because they genuinely benefit from a a genesis in our in our many languages on Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, that's where... I looked it up, and Edercaps were introduced in 1989 in Monstrous Compendium Volume Two. So oh, no, actually, they, they were introduced in Fiend Folio in 81. Ah, well, in that case, it predates it predates the earliest version of the internet, then, which was what invented in 1987, I think, when it was a thereabouts internal yeah. system. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, there we go. Uh, yeah, but learning. 
we, we, we are. That's what this episode's all about. This episode was going to be learning all about our missing elephant, Eddie Webb. And instead, uh, we're learning about uh, etacaps and other such things. I also find it interesting when, as you kind of mentioned with the Danish, the, the, the pronunciation has to make sense. Mm. Because, you know, people don't look at that Danish word and know how to pronounce it immediately if they're American. Yeah. And I feel like the same thing happens when you're talking about, like, let's let's take the German word for spider, right? To an American or to an English-speaking person, I, I guess, who does not speak German, it looks like spine. Yeah. But it's actually spinna, um, because that's how you pronounce that word. Um, and, like, spinna sounds kind of cool, but mm. spin or spine doesn't really, or spinny. Like, I'm not sure how people would pronounce that without knowing German pronunciation. And so, like, that's that's one that I I wouldn't go with. Were I naming some kind of spider creature, right? Because um, I or or I would try to write it out like phonetically, which is kind of what Ettercap ended up doing. Yeah. And I I also find that interesting, where you take a word and then you're like, well, no one's going to actually know how to say this. I mean, see Camarilla Camarilla debate and Zmisi uh, Zmice Zmice whatever. Uh, there are still some words that people don't know how to say, um, partially because they have their roots in other languages. And like I, I say Zmichi, which is almost like a, I want to say it's like a Czech-ish pronunciation, mm. um, because that was the one that I heard that made the most sense to me. Yeah. But there's also that you know video out there of every World of Darkness developer saying it differently. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like no one knows how to say it really, aside from maybe Rich. I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe marker can I no idea but that's that's the risky run when you pull words from other um languages so it's like do you do you keep it in the other language so it sounds really cool or do you write it out phonetically so that people actually know how to say it yeah uh well another issue that comes up especially in fantasy settings is using contemporary words or reference <coughs> excuse me references uh that mm-hmm. have no bearing uh as an example i was working on a fantasy game recently uh, i think it was a game i it may have been a may have been reading a novel either way i was definitely reading something fantasy based where someone's mm-hmm. where the author or out of character narrator referred to the uh characters throwing molotov cocktails and oh, obviously huh. that's that's a that's a bad one to reference that's a really bad one to reference but the thing is i am fairly certain i have seen it also referenced in fantasy not set on earth as greek fire despite the fact the Greeks don't exist in this fantasy world. Right. And there's it, it interests me where authors decide to draw the line because you need it to be comprehensible, or comprehensive, a, uh, <laughs> uh, but you also need it to be an, a fantastical enough that it feels true to the world you've created. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. it's interesting to me, for instance, that it, to use a song of ice and fire as I guess our modern Lord of the Rings, uh, they I guess. yeah. Well, if, if we have to, 
in, in in the sense that it's uh, very it's nowadays seen as a very homogenized international fantasy phenomenon. There you go. Right. Uh, but they never refer to zombies, do they? They refer to White Walkers, and uh, I'm trying to think. And the Army of the Dead. I don't think they ever use the word zombie. They're they're whites, I think, as well. Ah, whites, yeah, maybe, yeah, and uh, that, you know, that's a definite stylistic choice. It's not unique to a song of ice and fire because in almost every zombie apocalypse media nowadays, they never refer to zombies as zombies. Uh, The Walking Dead makes a is now a running joke for this, where they have used every synonym for zombie and slow moving dead person that they can that isn't zombie. Um uh, to the point that in the comics they never refer to them. In all of its one hundred issues, I think they never use the word okay. zombie. And at some point it you've got to wonder does no one in this did no one in this universe watch Night of the Living Dead? Oh, where where yeah, they I, refer to as ghouls. Uh, or... that's, that's a conceit that I've seen talked about before, where it's like, like if you set your horror movie in a world that has horror movies, you get Scream. Mm. So instead, you have to set it in a world where you essentially have never seen a horror movie. Yeah, And that's a conceit you have to kind of keep. So in zombie media, for instance, stuff like, uh, you know, the The Walking Dead, they need to pretend like zombie movies don't exist hmm. to have an effective zombie narrative because the zombie movies exist and we've all seen, you know, all of the Romero films and, you know, every other iteration that, 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 that has been done. Then like the minute zombies happen, you'd be like, Oh yeah, you got to shoot them in the head. Bye. Yeah. Like we all know how zombies work, but instead the characters need to figure out that that's what you have to do to kill them. And therefore you kind of can't have zombie movies. Otherwise, like I said, you do get a self-referential piece of media, which can Mm. be good, something like Scream, right? Um, But also, it can be a little silly sometimes if it's like, oh, like, you know, we didn't know how to fight them. And it's like, well, you you should know if you have any exposure to pop culture. Um, Which is why sometimes that that kind of stuff does work well. Like I, I like that a song of ice and fire doesn't call them zombies because that is very much a thing from, you know, a, 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 a specific tradition on our earth. Yes. <laughs> where the word came from. So it makes more sense. They would call them something else. Also the white walkers, I think are the intelligent ones that yeah. make the whites and the whites are the zombies um or the army of the dead or the dead or whatever which they do call them army of the dead at one point which is the name of a romero movie <laughs> so uh, like, no it's that Z- oh, it's that Zack snyder abomination oh sorry it, sorry it's yeah. the it's the one that is hanging on to all of the romero movies yeah. then <laughs> because they did blank of the dead yeah uh but but yeah so like that's that's an interesting thing that when we talk about for instance legend lore right in legend lore, you you come in with all of your knowledge of our world because mm. you're essentially playing yourself. So do you go in to legend lore going, oh, yeah, I've played D&D. I know how this works. <laughs> or do you go in with the conceit that this is a new thing for you? And that uh, is a, 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 a thing that I think about a lot when it comes to various genre media. Yeah, I, I think that's a great question, and it's a great opportunity in a game like Legend Lore to do something different as a mm-hmm. gamer group, 
where you have characters. Well, everyone knows I'm a big fan of metagaming, uh, although not right. to a toxic degree, I hope. But in in Legend Law, for your characters to have some foreknowledge of how this fantasy world is going to act, based on your knowledge mm-hmm. of fan- <coughs> your knowledge of fantasy fiction and games and so on, uh, I think that gives your characters an immediate risk of appearing condescending to the people of the world yeah. which can actually be <laughs> uh, can actually be a fun thing to role play uh, but it also brings a the element of wisdom and um, some people might even revere your characters or or hold them in higher esteem than the other ways might because mm-hmm. of the knowledge you carry and I think both can be very fun elements. Um, in terms of the zombie issue and the shooting them in the head, I wish more media would have the the guts, as it were, to have characters who have seen zombie movies and say mm-hmm. you've got to shoot them in the head, only to, de- to find that shooting them in the head does absolutely nothing. <laughs> that, right. no, these, these walking corpses are not, driven by their brain you know there is something else at play here mm-hmm. um and at that point like, you can oh sorry carry on i was gonna say like you could do something where zombie animation is actually some kind of nanites right yeah like, it's actually yeah. like a, a a kind of cyberpunky you know tech tech based zombies mm-hmm. um and therefore it's just in their blood and in their muscles and you can't like the only way to kill them is to like burn them essentially right and that that would be interesting to me because yeah you have the characters they pop up and they're like oh zombies like i had to deal with zombies right you just take a machete right to their brain done seen it a thousand times on the walking dead season 43 or whatever season we're on um and then it's like oh no shit (laughs) they keep coming (laughs) um and and also maybe these nanites have some mutation capabilities and gives them like weird claws and stuff and then like it's still a zombie movie but it's like a fresh take on it versus you know every zombie movie that i've seen in the past a little bit like yes some of them are more interesting than others as far as premise goes but really what a lot of it boils down to is people die they come back they try to bite you if they bite you you probably also do the thing right yeah (laughs) okay uh yeah all right like we've experimented with them being slow and fast and that's about it (laughs) Mm. It, it's interesting to me on the subject of zombie media i'm i'm a big fan of zombie movies or i would even say that it was zombie movies that really got me into horror and how many zombie movies have followed the template more or less of dawn of the dead its central template, the, mm-hmm. the George A. Romero one, which obviously the Zack Snyder one, to bring him up again, uh, is a remake of of um, a small gang of survivors tries to hold down a base, tries to uh, tries to make their lives better, wins against the zombies, and then another group of humans comes along and fucks it all up. Uh, and I think that's still a premise that can work very well. But it's surprising to me how few take from Night of the Living Dead and Day of the Dead. Uh, I mean, something like Land of the Dead is far more grandiose in scale. I don't think it's a bad film. And it stars our um, creative director, Dennis Hopper, Richard Thomas in it. Um, (laughs) Wow, we just throw an inside joke in there. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, uh, not many uh, take from the Night of the Living Dead all hunkered down in pretty much one location for the entire movie. And Day of the Dead, where it is two competing groups of humans, essentially all stuck in one location with occasional mm -hmm. breaths of air before it all goes to hell. Um, but yeah, that's it's uh, something that intrigues me. I've watched far too many zombie films, and I always go back to the Romero ones because I do think they are classics. I think they hold up staggeringly mm -hmm. well. I'm actually very, very fond of the 2004 remake of Dawn of the Dead as well. Um, I saw that in the theaters. And yeah, me too. I, I think it's really well done. Um, I I enjoyed seeing the update. Now, I also enjoy the older ones, obviously, because all of Romero's films are, are classic as far as those go. I haven't actually seen the most recent two of the dead movies from uh, Romero. Like, I've seen I th mm. Night, Dawn, Day, and Land. I haven't yeah. seen Diary or Survival. I so survival is a direct sequel to Diary. Uh, it has some of the mm -hmm. same characters. Neither film was particularly great. Diary of the Dead. So what Romero was very good at, uh, having passed away now, is uh, although he may return, um, <laughs> was utilizing and sometimes being on the cutting edge of uh, horror media of the time, or or you know. Being uh, a little experimental by, for instance, in Night of the Living Dead, having a black lead in a 1960s movie uh, was not a small thing. Mm -hmm. uh, for the first major characters in that movie to be a black male and a white female, admittedly the woman, uh, Barbara, uh, doesn't have a lot to do. Uh, she uh, gets a lot more screen time, a lot more agency in the Tom Savini remake. Uh, in 1990 mm -hmm. um, but I think um, Diary of the Dead is interesting because it's a, essentially a found footage movie, it's lots of shaky cam, it's a bit Blair Witchy uh, in that respect but it was very different because there weren't any zombie movies that had done that yet and I feel like Romero almost felt like he had to do his shaky cam uh, very amateurish looking zombie movie to fit in with that uh, that sort of brand of horror movie that was out in the mid 2000s. Mm -hmm. uh, with Dawn of the Dead, I always end up putting the years after. With Dawn of the Dead 2004, uh, <laughs> I, I saw that one in cinema <laughs> as well, and I I absolutely loved it. I remember I saw it a couple of times. I thought no one has used Johnny Cash so well in a movie as they did in the opening sequences of that movie. Also, uh, the use of Richard Cheese is perfect. Yeah, uh, which is always <laughs> great. I love it. If if someone can use Richard Cheese elegantly in, a, in any movie, um, his personal Jesus is in one of the opening sequences to The Leftovers, season three, and I... I think his version of personal jesus is the is the best but actually i think that Donald that is what introduced me to richard cheese um because i remember being in there i i saw the movie with my roommate at the time his name was adam or i'm assuming his name still is adam i haven't seen him in a while 
Um, <laughs> but like we were watching it and both of us, like we like had, had, had met each other from doing karaoke and stuff like that. So we're both big karaoke nerds um, and, and big music nerds in general. And yeah. like literally stayed through the credits just to see who did that version of Down With The Sickness. Because both of us were like, this is amazing. Yeah. Like this kind of like jazzy club lounge version of Down With The Sickness. And then we like went back to the house this is 2004 remember and mm-hmm. you know tried to find his music on whatever services we could <laughs> and then i eventually just bought some cds uh because i was like i want to hear more of these cover songs this is a really fun style so yeah but yeah i i, I thought that was a really good remake like it was i mean i haven't watched it in several years so i'm not sure if it holds up Nothing that I'm saying is a recommendation to watch anything because I have no idea what kind of problematic things are in some of these that I haven't seen in forever. Um, but at the so, time, I really liked it. Yeah, I don't remember much problematic material in Dawn of the Dead 2004, but what I do remember is mm-hmm. the utter selfishness of the lead male uh, who mm. was the guy from... Uh, what's the... Medium? Was it was a TV show Medium? Uh, maybe he he was the guy who at the end doesn't go with Sarah Polly and the rest of the protagonists on the boat because he's been bitten. Was it was it Ty Burrell? Was it no, that's the guy from Modern Family, isn't it? I think I don't know. Is it not? Jake, I don't know. Jake Either Weber, way, the main rooms. <laughs> Jake Weber sounds right uh, because there's the character of CJ who um, was one of the mal security guards who, right, right, right. who 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 is nasty at the beginning and has a sort of uh, repentance in it and our main male lead um, basically leaves him to Michael. get Yes, Michael leaves him to get uh, chewed on by zombies only to then stop and say to Sarah Polly's character, "I've been bit," or show show her the the wound, and my, and I remember thinking, even with the first time I saw that in the cinema, why didn't you stay behind to blow up the gas canister, you asshole? CJ could have got <laughs> I mean, yeah, out yeah, yeah. of there. You were in the exact same reinforced bus as him. See, this stuck with me. It's obviously a lasting mm-hmm. issue, and uh, yeah, it's for that reason I will never rewatch it. Not really. really. (laughs) I mean, I probably will. I actually recently got my boyfriend to sit down and watch some of the Resident Evil movies. See, those those are zombie movies I don't particularly enjoy, but I wouldn't necessarily, to my tastes, call them zombie movies as much as fun action films. Um, Yeah, I mean, they're 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 definitely zombie action movies instead of zombie horror movies. I would say. Yeah. Um, I am a. I haven't seen all of them for the record, but I am a major apologist for the first two. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like after that, they go really a little too off the rail sometimes. But I think the first one is really good. I like how it's kind of contained, you know, you're focused in on these characters and the kind of personal horror of what's happening to them, this, that, and the other. The second one, you get the whole, like, it takes place in a city. You got Jared Harris there. You got little girl, you know, all the all the stuff that we're dealing with where they are taking over just a city in Raccoon mm. City. Um, and like could be contained, but probably not because Umbrella Corporation is evil. Yep. Also, you get Nemesis, which is super fun. Like that's part of why I I, I showed it because my boyfriend loves the Resident Evil games, and is constantly walking around like stars, you know, <laughs> Nemesis and Mister X and whatever. And so I'm like, I'm like, well, do you want to see the live action version? Like, let's let's have fun with this. Um, so it's it's fine. 
it's it's not the best ever, but it you know introduces uh, what's her name, Jill Valentine. Yes, um, yes, of course, and... uh, she does appear in it, doesn't she? In the second, yeah, one. yeah. And so, yeah, it's kind of fun. Um, those are also movies that came out around the time of the Dawn of the Dead remake. Yeah, there's definitely this like early two thousand zombie renaissance that happened. Yeah. Um. There, there were so many zombie movies around that time. There was like 28 Days Later, this, that, and the other. And I I listened to a lot of podcasts about media. And I, I do find it fascinating when people talk about how like whatever is popular in horror at the time is probably reflecting the social fears that we have around that yes, time. Yes, yeah. And that's that's just a really interesting phenomenon that I'm, I'm not qualified to really speak on. But I recommend folks look it up if they are not familiar with that that kind of theory of media. Because it is really, really interesting. I I recall when the Resident Evil movie came out and I was a big fanboy for the Resident Evil video games too. And I was so disappointed uh, that it wasn't Resident Evil. Uh, It didn't feel like Resident Evil to me because where was the mansion? Where are all the... um, (laughs) Where where, where are stars? Where's Albert Wesker? Uh, Where's Barry Burton? Where where are all those characters? And... um, with hindsight, uh, I have come to realize that a movie based directly off of Resident Evil 1, uh, with or without farty horn music for the basement section, probably wouldn't have been very good. And I remember when I was all up in arms on message boards and talking about, eh, there are no laser corridor sequences in the, in the video game. There are in Resident Evil 5, I think, but that hadn't come out yet. Um, <laughs> I remember I mean, yeah, someone ahead. someone actually said, "Well, did you know George A. Romero actually wrote a script for a Resident Evil movie?" And I said, "I didn't." And they linked me to it, and it is still available. I think you can still, I'm sure you can find it somewhere online. George Romero's uh, treatment uh, for a Resident Evil movie, which is basically Aliens, uh, it it doesn't share. It, it in fact, I should say, it shares quite a lot of similarities in some ways to the final Resident Evil movie that we got uh, but it has stars Bravo team and Alpha team uh, investigating the zombies at the Umbrella Mansion ending up descending into a laboratory underneath it yeah. and then slowly being picked apart and in some ways it actually holds up I think it's a better read than the uh, the Resident Evil movie we got but it's still not great uh, but it's an interesting piece of trivia that George A. Romero wrote a Resident Evil movie, uh, mm. even if it was never actually made. I mean, have you... You are aware that at time of recording, there's a Resident Evil movie in cinemas right now that has like uh, the Redfield and Leon Kennedy and all that stuff in it, right? Yes, uh, I am aware. I have not seen it uh, yet. I'm So I've been told it feels exactly like the video game. And in that regard, it's not a very good movie. But as a fan of the video game, I might actually like it. The critical consensus on Rotten Tomatoes right now is Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City is an affectionately faithful adaptation that further proves its source material is ill-suited to the big screen. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's probably one of those where, like, it's it's fun if you want to see that come to life. Mm. Uh, But past that, it's like, critics aren't loving it. Fans are giving it an okay score, you know. It's 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 it seems like it's like a solid like C C plus movie. Yeah, where it's so, like, it's, uh, it's fine. 
So I've run our Dystopia Rising Evolution RPG because mm-hmm. I think it handles zombie apocalypse very, very well uh, from the side of the protagonists and makes surviving in that kind of setting a really interesting challenge. Uh, it, it throws up all kinds of questions that you may not have considered about the kinds of things you might have to do to survive in a in, in a world that's in that kind of state. Um, I've, of in course, I don't... In a world. I don't know if uh, there was a video of this one or if we just did a... In fact, I don't think it was. I think it was for the... Was it the um, Save Against Fear that I ran the Beyond the Grave uh, actual play? The one that had the zombie apocalypse in a small town... I wasn't Uh, in that one, so I do not know. I know you were watching it briefly. Uh, It was the one where the characters got stuck in a small town in Suffolk uh, in England, Hmm. and um, when the bell chimed 13 or something like that, the dead rose back to life. And so I did Zombie Apocalypse with Beyond the Grave. And of course... um, there's uh, All Flesh Must Be Eaten by Eden Studios, mm-hmm. uh, arguably the most famous uh, zombie tabletop RPG. And I recall when I when I ran All Flesh Must Be Eaten for the first time way back when, probably like two thousand and Christ five or six. Uh, they I was determined to run Resident Evil the RPG. I was determined that the characters would be members of stars, and I was fortunate that none of the players had ever played Resident Evil. So I thought, ha-ha, I can actually give them handouts that are the handouts from Resident Evil, basically, you know, diary entries. Yeah, and, yeah totally. and, they, and that was all great. I, and I, Yeah, they, there were green herbs you could mix up with blue herbs and red herbs and the rest, and everyone's smoking as they went around the Arclay Mansion. Um... But I discovered something very quickly after having mapped the... So one of my proudest accomplishments as a GM, which is silly, is I spent a ridiculous amount of time mapping the locations in Resident Evil to make them actually sync up to make them architecturally sound. Uh, because it's a bit like a movie set, the Resident Evil mansion, where if you overlay the floors on top of each other, this place should have collapsed in on itself a very long time ago. And so I spent a lot of time mapping this entire mansion for this game. And we were playing it, we played several sessions of it, and by about session four, I could tell the players were bored as hell mm. because yeah. while i was there with a big grin on my face thinking yes i'm perfectly channeling resident evil they're just thinking great so another corridor full of zombies we know we've got to shoot them in the head so i'm going to make a cold shot they can't move fast enough so i'll just hold my turn to get bonus dice and things like that so headshot 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 oh look another puzzle room and then they started thinking around the puzzles in ways that you can't in the video <laughs> game. So rather than um, getting crushed by the descending floor but, uh, above you and uh, being told you could have been a Jill sandwich, they decided, well, why don't we just... Um, we know there's going to be a trap here, so we'll just wedge something in the door. So we'll take that shotgun, and when the door tries to slam shut, there's already going to be a you know, piece of rebar or something in the way. 
and and they yeah. Uh, yeah and they started doing things like well we've got hacking skills so why are we going around picking up the armor key or armor key cards as i had made it when we could just break our way into these rooms and i started thinking shit resident evil does not hold up to creative role players and my fantasy was right. quickly doomed it, it was in fact doomed from session one when one of the players decided I my character doesn't trust our, trust our captain, Albert Wesker, because he's always wearing sunglasses. <laughs> uh, which is true in the video game. He is always wearing sunglasses from even before you realise he's evil. Um, he doesn't even have a virus in him at this point. He just does it because he's cool. And one player, just being a bit of a dick... Um, had written into their story that they had they had trust issues. They were easily paranoid, and you could make a roll. And if you critically failed, you basically had what was like in V five your compulsion or bestial failure. And this paranoia sprung up, and it was focused at Albert Wesker. And mm. this character just said, "You led us here. You brought us to this place. You know about this." And now Wesker's saying, "No, no, I don't." Um, like Mark Wahlberg in The Happening saying, "No, no, you're wrong." Uh, that's a <laughs> that's a deep cut there. And um, and this character played to the hilt their their paranoia about Wesker ended up resulting in them drawing their gun and headshot bang Wesker's dead first session the big bad <laughs> the betrayer in stars is right. gone and um, yeah that's role players for you. you can't run games for those bastards you certainly can't plan that's, games for them that's that's the thing though is that like when we talk about games adaptations. Um, some things are more suited for video games and some things are more suited for role playing and you know you have to kind of figure out the right balance because a zombie FPS it is really fun because it's just you against the zombies right or like you and a couple yeah. of your friends if you're playing like an online game mm-hmm. um, so like that's that's great it's, it's, it's a couple of people and, and hundreds and thousands of zombies and you are actually using the skill to shoot them you are not like rolling dice and going like well I shot him I guess you yeah. are you know holding your gun and aiming and, 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 and shooting them. And also one of the biggest themes in zombie media isn't about the zombies. Cause really zombie media is a lot about like economics mm-hmm. and uh, how people feel about having to fight for resources and things like that. That's like yeah. what most zombie movies are kind of an, an, an allegory for. Mm. Um, and there's a, there's, there's, there's a role playing game um, you can get on drive to RPG called red markets that does a really, really amazing job about that. Like the whole point is that you are survivors in a wasteland of zombies, but also other survivors. Yeah. And like poverty is the real thing that you're fighting <laughs> because there aren't enough resources for everybody. And that's that's really what most zombie movies are about, or my, most zombie media is like, how long can you survive with the resources that you have? And how clever are you to be able to make your resources? Like, if you watch Walking Dead, it's constantly about, like, okay, we, like, found a compound. This is great. We can grow our own food. Like, we can be self-sufficient. We figured it out. Oh, no, the zombies got in. Fuck. Let's go Mm -hmm. find a, a, like, new place to be, right? Yeah. And the other big thing about zombie movies is that they're usually about how it's other humans who are the real monsters, Yes. Um, like if you look at 28 days later, like the minute that, you know, they get to the one compound, uh, all the soldiers are thinking about assaulting people, mm. uh, which is not great. Um, and then others, like if you watch, you know, 
like we were just talking about, like Resident Evil, not Resident Evil, but like uh, D- Dawn of the Dead 04, like people are betraying each other and fighting each other for resources and things like that. Because if you look at a mall, there's only so much stuff in a mall when you're not getting new deliveries, right? Yeah. So like really, they should be trying to figure out how to like grow food inside that mall. But also, are they going to run out of fuel? Are they going to run out of electricity? Do they have this or that or the other? And that's that's what the zombie genre is really about is like these you know forces completely outside your control that just want to devour everything Mm. and how do you fight that and so when you're doing resident evil you really can't just be like okay i'm gonna emulate the game perfectly because that's not interesting that's following around somebody who's first person shooting a bunch of zombies and like okay all right because the real tension should be like what are your resources? Do you have enough bullets? Can you creatively figure this out? Are your other team members going to turn on you? Are you going to go try to rescue somebody only to find that you're rescuing them and it's actually a trap? Which is something that I do like about The Walking Dead is that they have found lots of ways. And I mean, they got really creative in later issues and 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 seasons to figure out new new weird ways to make man the ultimate monster, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because that's that's really like... After a while, the zombies just aren't interesting anymore. Like the first couple seasons of The Walking Dead, and I've I've read some of the comics, but not all of them, so don't don't at me. Um, <laughs> the 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 zombies are the main threat, right? For the first couple seasons, yes, like, yes. There's the stuff with like uh, uh, what's his face, Michael Ricker, Merle. Um, oh yeah, yeah. But that, that's pretty. And, that's confined to an, one episode or two, isn't it? Well, he keeps uh, at first, later I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but like, like you know, there's there's some stuff with him being maybe gonna try to kill Rick. There's stuff about like other people trying to kill each other, but a lot of it is about like how do we you know stay against the zombies? And this is near the beginning of the outbreak, and also trying to get to the CDC to see if there's a cure, you know, whatever. Um, the some of the true horror in the first couple episodes comes from characters that you've gotten to know getting turned into zombies. Mm. But then after a while. Um, especially after the big reveal at the end of season two or three or whichever it is, uh, you're like, okay, so if anyone dies, they're going to be a zombie. Zombies are just a fact of life now. So now the show becomes, how do we live among this outbreak? And how do we, you know, go on and find resources and whatever when we've never had to fend for ourselves in this way? Because essentially you get reduced to like a nomadic culture when you've never been one before or a hunter-gatherer culture when you've never been one before. Um, and that's that's interesting, but it's something that you could definitely emulate at tabletop. Whereas a lot of video games you couldn't. Like if I said I'm gonna run a Call of Duty game as opposed to like a World War II game, <laughs> those are very different things, right? Because mm-hmm. a Call of Duty game is literally you run, you shoot, you run, you shoot. That's 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 why I've I've gotten bored even playing D and D characters in the past, is because like if you're stuck as a level one ranger for a long time, it's like I shoot it with my bow. Yeah. And then, you know, you wait for everybody else to do, like, cool magic stuff, and you get to the next turn. I shoot it with my bow. Well, yeah, because the system punishes you for playing a way that's outside of your class. Uh, right. It, and it, it, I, those are some really interesting points that I hadn't I hadn't considered all of them. And I, obviously, you know, were I to run Resident Evil uh, Must Be Eaten, now I would no doubt make a lot of changes uh, ba- based largely on what you evil. just said. That's that's <laughs> a much better <laughs> mix, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Residents must be eaten. <laughs> <laughs> 
first, and then we can move on to the wider city. Um, but when I think back to movies that you mentioned, Twenty Eight Days Later, uh-huh. um, what without intending it, uh, movies like Twenty Eight Days Later, Twenty Eight Weeks Later, the Dawn of the Dead remake. Uh, did mm. that really influenced a lot of zombie media now, especially televisual media, uh, looking at Walking Dead and Black Summer, is and and Z Nation to a lesser degree. I've got to uh, start watching Black it, Summer. It's like been on my list for so long. Anyway, I know I always sing the praises of Black Summer. I but, know, uh, I know, and I, I want to watch it. Like, I do about it think you. it's, but yeah, it's it's a hard watch at times. But what they do is they take the first 15 minutes of those movies and somehow, especially Black Summer, um, it takes the first 15 minutes of, let's say, 28 Weeks Later or Dawn of the Dead, that initial tension, the heart pumping, the, the terror that comes with being in a zombie apocalypse and then keeps the adrenaline going. And then at the end mm-hmm. of it, you know, that's just 45 minutes of your life you've spent watching, but it's not a movie. They don't need to fill right. more space. They don't need to add more more depth to it than that. It can basically be high octane, and then if you want to binge watch it, great, but be prepared for another uh, episode that's probably going to be quite like that. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking when I watched 28 Weeks Later as an example, although the Dawn of the Dead remake is also very much like this when i first watched it those first few minutes uh of discovering the zombies or the zombies discovering you the running away with music pounding in the background um and the narrow escape with almost all of the characters you've just seen now dead except for mm-hmm. one who you who you now know is the protagonist is such a brilliant way of crafting tv and is something that i want to do more of with running role-playing games uh with prologues i did that briefly with um red moon role-playing for when i ran the cults of the blood gods game for a group uh, with Red Moon Roleplaying, giving everyone an hour-long prologue to tell their story, to tell us how they became who they are, could be set at, at any point in their past, but mm-hmm. a purely defining moment that could be really action-based or tense, and then when we are then introduced to them later, it can be a little cooler because we know who they are now, uh, we know what the stakes are, that sort of thing. Um but I always go back to a movie like 28 Weeks Later and think, even though the the movie as a whole isn't great, but those first 15 minutes are one of the strongest openings to a horror movie, or in fact any movie, that I can think of. If I need to mm-hmm. call something from my head, the uh, and I think that's the only part of the movie Danny Boyle directed, if memory oh, really? serves. Yes, I believe so. I think he's down as some kind of maybe an executive producer or something like that. Um, for 28 weeks later, but I think that is the only part he directed. Um, and then it all gets a bit, yeah, with kids as protagonists. Who wants that? <laughs> I actually like it, but I mean, there's, 
is it is it the remake of Dawn of the Dead that starts with the little girl in the neighborhood? Yeah, yeah it's a, that's, it, it, that's a great opening too. Yeah, yeah. In a lot of ways, well, it is exactly the same in function as twenty eight weeks later. It feels mm-hmm. calm. Sarah Polly's nurse goes home, hard day at work, lots of mysterious bites yeah. and illnesses at the hospital, and then her boyfriend gets bitten. Uh, by this girl who just shows up, and then there's a rat, you know, it's uh, pounding, you need to escape, you need to get out of the bathroom through this tiny window, and they're trying to burst through the bathroom door, and she runs out into her uh, estate, her, her road, and she sees hell breaking loose in all the houses around her, and she's struggling to get into a car. That's wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful stuff. And it's something that Black Summer somehow manages to do over a lengthy time frame which i haven't found in much horror media let alone zombie media and then of course you have like i also love people who take it like take their own spin on it because obviously one of the best zombie films of the past 20 years is shot of the dead yes um which walks the line between comedy and horror so perfectly through the whole thing Mm -hmm. that i i love it like Partially because you're watching regular people deal with the zombie apocalypse. Like, I feel like whenever you get a movie, like, yes, they do try to make, like, everyman type characters. But invariably, it's like, okay, there's a cop and there's a doctor. Or there, you know, there's, like, people <laughs> who have useful skills. And Sean's like, I work at essentially Radio Shack. You know? Yes. Like, he does nothing. Um, and ha- also, the the scene near the near the beginning, when, it, when, it, when it's starting to break down, and just watching him and Ed be, like, oblivious... Mm. is perfect to me because that's exactly how i think a lot of people would be (laughs) it's like you like you you go across the store you're hungover you grab your thing you put the money on the counter you don't notice the blood stain because you're half asleep and hungover and then you know three hours later there's a girl in the garden (laughs) like what what, what's (laughs) happening etc um oh 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 god our our roommate is in the shower and also wants to eat us yeah um but like that's that's a really cool take on it, and also something that I had never really seen before because I feel like I feel like too often people who try to do horror comedies go too far into the parody part of it or into the yeah. comedy part of it, and it kills all the horror elements. But there are genuinely touching moments in that movie, and there are genuinely scary moments in that movie, um, and 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 then there are also hilarious moments, and I think all of them marry really well in a way that we just don't see in a lot of media. Um, same with the book World War Z. Which yes. I have not seen the movie. I have read the book many times, though. Wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, no, I I, I, I saw the trailer and went, that's ah, not going to be a faithful adaptation. Because what they should have done, and I will say this forever, was make it an anthology TV show. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> every every one-hour episode was one short story. Because mm-hmm. the whole book, like every chapter is a different short story, held together by a narrator. And they could have had that. They could have had that conceit where there's a narrator interviewing a subject that like frames the beginning and end of the sh- of of the episode, and then the whole you know fifty two minutes in the middle is what happened during that. See, um, I don't, anyway, I don't think I'm it's too late. I don't think it's too late for that. The World War Z movie came out just before streaming platforms were as big well you know right. netflix and amazon prime weren't uh, quite at the stature netflix may have even been love film at that point over here right. uh, at the very least and now that so much so there seems to be so much more confidence in tv 
uh, which obviously you could trace all the way back to some uh, a network like HBO, but mm-hmm. American networks like uh, AMC and FX then went on to do some pretty good things with some shows. You know, even ABC with Lost. Um, I mean, I watch American Horror Story to this day. It's yeah. you know, like, uh, but I also think of shows like like when I'm talking about specifically for for World War Z is I think about more of like a Black Mirror or whatever kind of situation. Where yeah, like every episode is a different cast, aside yeah. from maybe the interviewer who could be in every episode, mm. right? Yeah, I completely agree. I I I remember. In fact, it may be the only book I have ever finished and then started reading all over again. And part of that may have been mm-hmm. because by the end of it, I couldn't remember everyone's names, so I <laughs> right. didn't know everyone in the epilogue. But I enjoyed World War Z so much that not only did I start reading it again, I then sought out the audio version, which there's audio two there's two so audio good. versions. Yeah, I have the extended one somewhere that has all the chapters. Yeah, if oh, in that case, there's three because there's um, the abridged version, which has uh, Mark Hamill, Jurgen Prock now, among others, and they are also in the Alan extended Alda. version. Alan Alan Alder is fantastic in it; he is great. Right. And then, since then, there has been a digital version of it released that does not have the A-list names. And I wonder if it's a license issue, uh, whether they had a, you know, whether their names could only be attached to this project for a limited amount of time. I don't know what the situation Mm -hmm. is, but it it isn't as good. Um, So if you want to seek out World War Z, definitely seek out the extended version of the original because it's... It is a wonderful listen, probably the best audiobook experience I've ever had because it's more of an audio play than a book. But yeah. it's um, yeah, you know, the straight novel, you know, with one narrator. Uh, but yeah, hugely recommend that one. I think I got a real lesson in verisimilitude from that book mm. um, because I I remember reading that. I was living in Arizona at the time, and I remember like sitting on my couch and reading it with like just like a little like dim light on. And at some point, I kind of forgot the zombie apocalypse hadn't happened ten years ago. Yeah, because it it because it is written in the style of like someone interviewing like war veterans, right? Mm. And there's so much verisimilitude in how like different people would react to it, different countries, different cultures. Um, how you know, I'll, I'll, like so, so many people flee north because at least the zombies freeze there. And so you could have a winter relatively unscathed, but then you have to deal with the winter. And like, there's just so much in there that like I had never thought about in the context of any kind of zombie apocalypse situation or any post-apocalyptic situation that um, really just stuck with me. Like I got to meet uh, Max Brooks, a good talk by him at, um, I want to say it was zombie con, but it might've been a real funny comic con. I don't remember some convention on the West coast. Um, and he's just a fascinating speaker as well and looks oddly like his dad but you know what are you gonna do <laughs> um but no he's, he's just a really really nice guy and wrote this book and i'm like this is great this is amazing but i i think they should make it into an anthology series and i would love to watch that uh because yeah that's that's probably my favorite piece of zombie media of all time is world war z the novel yeah and, uh, yeah i've not thought of it for a little while but i have to agree it is undoubtedly it's the best piece of written media uh 
uh, that I've ever encountered. There may be some novels out mm. there. I've not read all of them, uh, but I s- certainly can't recommend it enough. Uh, it's and if you're more listeners, if you're more history inclined, the mm. structure of World War Z is based around um, a book called The Good War. Yep. Which is uh, by an author by the name of Studs Turkle, which is an interesting name. And Pretty it, great name. It is Studs Turkle. Uh, I'll have to remember that for they came from. And uh, The Good War is an oral history of World War II. And much like World War Z, the interviewer is basically traveling all around the world speaking to people. It, it's nonfiction. Uh, speaking to people who were alive and participants in some capacity or other in the Second World War. And so uh, he goes to Germany and he's in America, he's in Japan and every other um, participant nation in the Second World War, uh, interviewing everyone from military to civilians to, well, basically yeah. everyone. And that's yeah, it where... It the Pulitzer in the year of our birth. Mm, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, uh, but, he won the eighty-five Pulitzer. <laughs> but that's where Max Brooks got his inspiration from, and in to structure World War Z in that fashion, and it serves the zombie apocalypse genre so well. In a way, I'm sad I've not seen more books take that kind of, uh, I guess, vantage. But it must have been a challenge. I'm not surprised. Max Brooks hasn't written more. Uh, I can't imagine it's just because he's comfortable sitting in his bathtub full of uh, dollar bills. I, 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 coming up with a book that has that many voices in that all feel so distinct, that many stories in written all by yourself, all completely different, must have been quite quite the challenge. So, I mean, he wrote. Devolution last year that came out last year but um i haven't read it it's about like a small town that gets cut off by a volcano a volcanic eruption i think and then they have to survive attacks by like sasquatch and also being cut off from the rest of the world oh okay uh, so, yeah, well I, I i'm not, going to look that up then. i have not read it but yeah i am i am mostly interested in reading it because um it is set in a place where i used to live like it's set in the pacific northwest and that's after mm. the explosion of mount rainier which i used to be able to see out my backyard uh, <laughs> and we were always kind of like you know that could explode um it's it's not that far from us we can see it uh so yeah that's 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 interesting it's it's always fun to read things where like you're familiar with the area you know yeah like i love reading anything set in atlanta or like watching things set in atlanta that were filmed in atlanta um aside from when atlanta is supposed to be set like supposed to stand in for somewhere else because then it just drops me right out like Mm. every time anything happens in the freaking marriott marquee in downtown atlanta i'm like well that's the marriott like a lot of loki takes place in the marriott marquee in atlanta and i'm like i've stayed there (laughs) <laughs> that's 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 not a futuristic tva building that's that's the marriott marquee <laughs> uh, I, I had the same same thing i ran the great pen dragon campaign for a group of players <laughs> a long campaign mm. and it's set in the city of sarum which is the old word for salisbury well uh, which mm-hmm. is a city in in england and happens to also be where i'm situated and where my local group of players is situated and so most of the activity is taking place in the t- city and villages surrounding that we all not only know but happen to live in so when someone 
charges into court, throws down his gauntlet and says, um, I am Sebastian of Newton Tony. We know that <laughs> Newton Tony happens to be a dump just down the road. You're not as intimidating as uh, you happen to think, Sebastian. Uh, <laughs> but there we go. Anyway, we, we have far past time. We didn't even get to yeah, talk but- about Frank Welker's Anaconda. It's true, um, although please don't ever say that phrase again, uh, because that was a <laughs> mental image I didn't want. Uh, oh, Jesus. Uh, but, like, thank you, Sir, Sir, Sir Mix-a-Lot and Nicki Minaj for ruining that word for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like, I, I, I like thinking about the nature of adaptations and also what media says about current, you know, fears and anxieties. Um, for for those listeners who don't know, a lot of my college was actually pop pop culture studies and a lot of media studies. Um, that's that's something that I very much focused my my English stuff on. So even though I was taking you know sociology and 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 English and mass media classes, a lot of them had names referencing things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So mm. I had a really good time taking a lot of pop culture stuff because I do find it fascinating what pop culture or media says about society um not 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 all media does but quite a lot of it does even if it's subconscious and that is fascinating to me um like i could probably go on a whole rant about you know the mcu and tech billionaires and how we've talked about them in the economy in the past several years here (laughs) so yeah uh and i and i love the mcu but also when you you, you start thinking about some things critically they get they get weird really quickly um but this, this this has been fascinating. I I didn't uh, really mean to delve into this topic, but I I love talking to you, and I almost never get to chat with you one on one. This is this is a, a rare episode for us. It is, uh, it is. I have enjoyed it a yeah. great deal as well. So hopefully, fans can take stuff away from that. And if you're thinking about adapting something that you like to a TTRPG, maybe think about what it's going to look like in play before you choose to. Adapt yeah, don't it. do what I did. <laughs> don't do what Matthew does. I mean, what my one of my favorite video games of all time is uh, the the Fable series, but that would be a weird one to adapt to a TTRPG because the whole point of the Fable series is that you are the hero. Yeah. And so, like, what's everybody else doing? Like, mm. <laughs> just hanging out. I don't know. Um. So that 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 would be an interesting one to try to adapt, especially with the morality system, etc. But that is a thought experiment that we will leave you for the new year, uh, listeners. Um. So you can you can take that and write write medium posts about it and then link them to us <laughs> and if they wanted to link them to you dixie where would they find you online they would find me at dixie cyanide on pretty much all social media that includes twitter instagram um it's also my handle on discord uh and i'm also obviously hanging out in the onyx path discord pretty much all the time in addition to other random sundry discords i think i've got about 40 at this point uh so you can find me all over the place just you know chilling and they can find me on Twitter at Dawkins MP. They can find me on the Onyx Path Discord. And uh, yeah, they can always contact me through MatthewDawkins.com about their favorite zombie media. I may even respond. Uh, what's more, <laughs> to uh, uh, to cap off the zombie thing, I recently wrote an essay for a book on transgressive horror by Christopher McLaughlin. Uh, it's actually an anthology book of essays regarding lots of transgressive horror movies. I happen to write mine about Dawn of the Dead 1978. Uh, nice. So if people are interested in that, you can actually buy it from Barnes & Noble. 
Uh, I think you can also buy it in PDF. So do look that up. You should be able to find it just by typing in transgressive horror Matthew Dawkins, if nothing else. Also, and... Dystopia Rising Evolution does an amazing job of presenting an interesting zombie apocalypse CTRPG, in my opinion. It... It really does. I cannot say enough how great Dystopia Rising Evolution is for handling zombie apocalypses. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's a game not enough people have looked at, and they really should. Uh, it also uses the story path system in a very elegant and interesting way. So with all that said, uh, Happy New Year to all you listeners. Many worlds, one pathcast.